I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. You don't need me to tell you that lockdowns have destroyed small businesses throughout this second major outbreak of COVID-19. Not once have I heard from an authority in small businesses. Not once. I mean, the Premier updates us on the number of cases every single day. And we hear from the epidemiologist. We hear from the health advisors. Every now and then, the police commissioner jumps in and tells us how many fines they had to issue. We've even heard from a few psychiatrists who tell us to keep a tab on our mental health. That's all well and good. But what about our economic health? We've got no idea what's going on when it comes to getting out of this lockdown in an economic sense. So I've invited the New South Wales Small Business Minister, Damien Tudorhope, to ask him what the hell's going on. Why aren't we seeing him at the 11am press conference keeping us up to date with what's happening to small businesses? What's the roadmap for the way forward? So let's get into it. Minister Damien Chudhope, welcome to The Mentor. Mark, it's great to be with you and thanks for having me. It's rare I get to talk to uh, state ministers, to be honest with you, but like, uh, you know, COVID and um, sort of the shift of responsibilities or the, the, the surge of responsibilities back to states, uh, governments away from federal governments or the perception around away from federal governments has been a new phenomenon in this country. Um, this is first and foremost to introduce... Damien Tudorhope to our audience. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. This is a, this is a good opportunity, in fact, for uh, I suppose a personal conversation, uh, and it perhaps gives some uh, insight into the background that I have in terms of the support that I have for small business. But uh, I grew up in uh, Mossvale, went to Chevalier College at uh, Barrelder School, um, uh, became a lawyer, uh, ran my own legal practice uh, for thirty odd years. Um, uh, purchased a couple of childcare centres, uh, and I had, I had an interest in uh, a number of childcare centres uh, before I uh, entered politics. And I entered politics pretty late in life, uh, having had a significant life in uh, in small business and advising uh, many small businesses along the road. So um, uh, it, it's been a journey for me where. I have brought a significant professional career uh, to a ministerial career, which is I didn't uh, become a parliamentarian until 2015, uh, which is pretty late in my life uh, to uh, make that contribution. Uh, and I've been in, uh, I was initially in the lower house uh, as the member for Epping and 
after the 2019 election, I became a member uh, of the upper house and was made a minister by uh, the current premier. But I'm, so I'm, you're, you're a senator. Is it, you're senator, well, senator. upper house member, a member of the legislative council. It's, yep. it's, a, it's an upper house position. So upper house position. The, the other thing I think it is important to bear in mind is that I've, um, uh, I, I'm one of nine children and I have nine children of my own. So wow. the impacts the impacts of the economy on family has also been a major driver for me in terms of uh, making sure that uh, politics serves families and businesses rather than a perception that families and businesses serve politics. So uh, the, 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 the drivers that I have are twofold. Uh, I'm very um, uh, pro uh, making sure uh, that families are protected and certainly the restrictions and limitations on family life at the moment and the mental health of members of families uh, are significant uh, and I think it's something that we ought to be very cognizant of um, uh, all the time in the decisions we make. But aligned to that, uh, in the same way as you have families, you've got um, uh, small businesses, which are often family enterprises and families are supported by uh, the small businesses and the small business operators uh, that go out day after day and risk everything in many respects. And, and I know from my own personal experience that, you know, the number of uh, people uh, and for myself, uh, the times you'd wake up in the middle of the night wondering whether you had enough money in the bank to pay your staff the next day. They're, they're the real life experiences uh, of small business owners, which um, uh, often politicians don't get nearly enough uh, and the stresses that that places on that small business owner uh, is something that we need to comprehend in the decision making uh, that uh, we have on a on a day to day basis. What I'm getting from you um, is that uh, like not one of nine kids and nine of your own, Chevalier, and it's a it's a good school. Um, I mean, it's not like you know Cranbrook or something like that, but it's 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 in the middle. And uh, yeah. and by the sound of the things, uh, Catholic, uh, not one of nine, have your own nine kids. You know, but I really want to sort of deal a little bit more into you. Like you seem like a likable bloke. Um, you know, I've never seen you like spoken to you face to face before. I've heard you've been interviewed a few times. You're going to be under the pump at the moment. People are going to say, "Well, where's the minister for small business? We haven't don't hear from him. He doesn't, you know, like you. You've been sort of, and I don't necessarily think it's your fault, but you've been sort of um, under the radar because small business portfolio in state um, probably hasn't been. It's not like hasn't been elevated like health. Um, it's not like being the minister for police, where you know, I mean, it's 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 a different sort of portfolio, and you've only been in parliament for a, a short period of time, so that sort of makes sense. Um, but all of a sudden, it's the one we want. It's the, it's the dude we want to talk to, I and mean, it's a bit like Dominella. Like, I mean, his his one has become his ministry has become elevated all of a sudden because of uh, you know, service New South Wales is pretty important to all of us. It, you know, three, four years ago, we would never heard of those sorts of things. And, you know, three, four years ago, small business minister, even at the federal level, wasn't somebody we spoke to very often. Um, you know, we didn't hear from that particular individual. It was about treasury. It was about um, um, industry science under, you know, under Turnbull. It was always about industry science and innovation. Um, you know, and different premiers and or prime ministers, they lead their government and their ministries based on what, what their their deal is, what they think is important, and all of a sudden, small businesses become a big deal in New South Wales. And which is one of the reasons I'm talking to you, by the way, I mean, hopefully, it's one of the reasons you're talking to me too, because it's about establishing your cred, your credentials, and your credibility, and and what you do and what you stand for. Because you know, like we want to know 
what Minister Tudor Hope stands for, like what drives him, what's his thing? Just going back to the point that you were making, Mark, is you've been my, my greatest ambassador. In fact, uh, uh, I've heard you uh, calling for why isn't the small business minister in crisis cabinet, you know, surely. 100%. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that there is... What stands behind your call for the small business minister to be is an acknowledgement that small business contributes to the economy of the state more than any other uh, component of the economy. But there are 870-odd thousand small businesses in New South Wales now, and I, and I think you know, the uh, Treasury will tell you that contributes over 90% of the productivity to the state. Now, uh, you can't ignore that in, a, in a, a time when you've got a pandemic to say, well, if you ha- are going to lock down your economy and lock down small businesses, then there's going to be a significant impact. And, you know, uh, uh, what your call for the small business minister to be in crisis cabinet, I, I happen to agree with, but the, 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 the reality is, is I form part of a cluster uh, of ministers. The way that the government is set up, you have cluster leaders. The treasurer effectively is my cluster boss, and I work hand so in So Dominic Perrottet? Yeah, I work hand in glove with the Treasurer uh, in terms of the development of policy making and what we do, we, we have a very close relationship and he uh, consults me in respect of most decision making relating to small business and all of the small business announcements are made uh, generally in consultation between the Treasurer and I. So. I don't necessarily go out there looking for limelight. Uh, I I certainly go out there looking for input and I have a regular um, uh, catch-up in terms of making sure that my voice is heard uh, representing small business. But uh, I think there are other important things that that small business ministers ought to do, and that is the stakeholder groups uh, that... uh, uh, representative of most of the small business, whether it's COSBOA, Business New South Wales, uh, Business Council of Australia, I have regular um, meetings with them. And in fact, at the moment, you, you'd anticipate that they are at least bi-weekly, and that's the case. Um, but then the obligation to catch up with chambers of commerce throughout the state is also something which is front and centre of uh, the work that I do. And I, I must say that... Um, a relationship with uh, across the state and in regional areas at the moment particularly, uh, catching up with members of chambers of commerce is an an important component of getting the government uh, government message out there. But more importantly, to hear from those uh, chambers and those organisations about the issues which are impacting on them. Um, we, We can sit in Macquarie Street and make decisions, but if you're not making those decisions, based on the information which is being delivered to you by the really impacted groups, then sometimes you're you're in a bit of a hollow space. So um, I see uh, a lot of my role, not necessarily as seeking media attention, but to make sure that I am very close to the stakeholder groups uh, that are impacted by the decisions of government and never more so than at the current time. Uh, when small business has been under the pump the way that it is. Let's go back to your you, you ran a you ran a legal practice, so that's a small business owner. Um, th- yep. That yeah, professional, oh, was a, professional was a three, three man practice. Owners. I mean, one of the things that I know about suburban practices, legal practices, 
is that um you're not you got to you're only as good as your last case or your last good thing you did. I mean, it's all about referrals. You know, you got to you can't. It's hard to advertise. I mean, you can, but it's hard to advertise. Um, your best advertisers are your custom your clients. Um, and what clients expect from their lawyer is someone to fight from, um, and and fight hard and fight tenaciously. Um, within the rules, but tenaciously and uh, to some extent uh, to never le- leave a stone unturned, like to be extraordinarily thorough. So would you say that as a lawyer, um, you were a tenacious fighter for your for your clients? Yeah, well, I, I'd hope that's the case. Um, again, it, it, uh, my clients will be the judge of that, but uh, I, I would think that um, the perception of me as a lawyer was that um, – I was, you know, pretty uh, out there on behalf of my clients, and uh, I minister, wanted... minister, let me. Can I ask you this? Listen, stop me, don't, don't, please don't be so. Um, you're being like a lawyer now. Like we're not in court. <laughs> we're having a mag. We're having a conversation, right? And, and you look, you and I have got a couple of friends in common. Yeah. Let's just make. Let's make this a conversation, okay? Yeah. Say it if you feel it. Not do. Do you believe that you fought for your clients? I mean, in your heart, because that's what we want to know. Yeah, well, small of course. Business community wants to, do you feel that? I mean, others will opine on whether you did or you didn't. That's a different issue. And I'm never going to find that out because I'm not going to go and interview all your <laughs> clients or any of them for that matter. But tell us what you feel. That's what everybody wants to know. Well, they want to know what who's the dude who's running my livelihood, who's in charge of my livelihood in New South Wales at the moment, and what does he feel? What does he believe in? Can yeah. you tell us that? Yeah, well, I, well, I have to say that I think probably um, I was. If 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 you say this to me in terms of having this conversation, what are the, yeah. when you wake up at night and uh, and think about how 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 did your day go? Uh, there are times when you think you'd done really well. There are times when I thought maybe I had you know there are things that I may have done better. But the reality is, uh, my personality is uh, that I represent those people who are who have placed their trust in me as aggressively as I can because I yep. uh, they are paying my wages uh, they look at, they in fact support my family and because they have invested in me I think there is an obligation uh, to do your best for them uh, and my personality is such that uh, um, I generally don't leave uh, things unturned or stones unturned to make sure I get the best result or I did get the best re- best result uh, for clients. Um, you know, uh, I think I ran a uh, a reasonably uh, successful practice. Uh, you know, it, it, when your parents were uh, engaging lawyers and my parents, they never changed lawyers, never changed lawyers, it, you know, good or bad. The, there was like this family loyalty which uh, you had to your local lawyer, your local accountant. Barbers, lawyers and bankers. Exactly. So you, you, you kept those. But in, in our generation, that has changed. And, in fact, consumers are much more aggressive, often price-driven, but aggressive in terms of what service they're getting from their professional advisors, what service they're, they're getting or dollars that they pay, and whether that's a good investment. And I, and I think we, there is this change of a notion from family loyalty to your professional advisor. Now, to professional advisors have to compete in a marketplace where uh, they uh, their services are just another product on the shelf. So I'm very was very cognizant of that when I was in practice that 
you know, uh, it's very easy for a, cu a customer or a client to look at another uh, lawyer or lo another advisor and say, I get better value from that other advisor. So I used to be out there always wanting to make sure that my clients and my, my clients and, and when I had childcare businesses or the people that we had looked after in, in, as parents in childcare, that they thought that they were getting the best possible advice and best possible service for dollar that they were investing in me. So, Are you tenacious? Tenacious and, and in, in many respects. Uh, I suppose you'd gauge that by saying, well, how many clients did you lose? You know, mm. where, you know the, the worst thing in the world when you're a lawyer or you know, is when you get a letter from another lawyer saying, please send me the file because uh, your, your client no longer wishes to use your services and they've gone to someone else. I used to hate getting those letters. And I, I get the concept of choice. I think you've, you're right, especially in the professional services environment. Also, if you're in small business, you know, as you said earlier about the coffee uh, person, customers have choices, particularly these days, and they exercise their choice. And um, what what you might find interesting is I also did like a, you know, mini call out on on some of my social media and saying, if you were to vote for the government today, because voters have choices too, um, where would you cast your vote? Now, this is not a poll by any by any stretch of imagination, but a lot of seventy percent of the people who responded to me said they would have second thoughts about voting again for the Liberals in New South Wales. And that doesn't augur well for our, um, you know, and everybody knows I'm a Scott Morrison fan. You know, I'm a Liberal, you know, I'm a Liberal voter. Everyone knows that. So, like, I'm not going to hide from that fact. That doesn't augur well for next year's election, um, particularly in the state of New South Wales because, we, you know, Liberals can't afford to lose one seat anywhere across the country. Um, it's important, I think, that um, and in your portfolio, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to put too much pressure on you here, but, like, I think that the federal government election next year for our prime minister and the liberals and the coalition for that matter uh, can be won or, or retained if they can get the small business community to vote for them, particularly here in New South Wales, as a block, you know, like as a proper vote. And I think that you as the minister for small business carry that responsibility. That's, where my, posi that's my position right now. And why I'm glad to be able to interview you and actually be able to expose you to, to the, the public is for the people to, make, to be able to say, wow, I've got a bit of a sense of this dude. Maybe he is in my corner because right now he's been, you know, I haven't seen him, so I, I don't know whether he is or isn't in my corner. I don't know anything about him. Um, and people aren't just going to vote for you because you are the minister. They're going to vote for the, gov the Liberal government. I, and I know they're separate governments and I know – you know what happens in state doesn't necessarily happen in federal, but I'm just I'm just trying to be a risk risk manager here, and it's, it's none of my business, by the way, for the federal government. Although I do speak to the prime minister about this stuff, but I still think that how we have been looked after in the small business community in New South Wales will have an effect on the next year's federal election, by for sure. And you being the minister of small business, I feel as though, I'll be honest, with you, I feel as though you need to be out there much more. And you need to be telling you need to do more of these. And I think you should be t letting everybody know that the small business. And I'm, that's why I'm saying you should be on the crisis cabinet. And I, I think people need to know you talk to the treasurer, Dominic Perrottet, often, and that Dominic Perrottet sees your counsel. I think that's really important. But I also want to know that if Dominic Perrottet doesn't listen to what you've got to say, that Damien Tudorhope is going to go out there and push what he thinks needs to happen. Because we need, we need somebody to be fighting for us. Honestly, honestly, honestly Minister, we, we, 
the people that I, I, I mean, I know you speak to the chamber. I get it, and I know you speak to the small business, the business council, and I know you got a, you've got a, a small group who you put together. But I, I'm talking to small business owners every day, like every, actually talking to them, actually going out physically, standing there in there. Not the last couple of weeks, but I have been up until that point, standing there in the business. I don't care whether they're making furniture or selling coffee or whatever the case may be, cakes. I go and see them, and I've done like hundreds of these podcasts with small business owners, and they're all saying the same thing. They feel abandoned. Now, that's a feeling. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. It could be completely explainable what you guys are doing. What would be best if every day instead of me seeing the, uh, Mick Fuller, who I know quite well, the commissioner for police, standing up there, and or uh, Gary Warboys, the deputy police commissioner, standing there behind the premier every day um, saying, you know, we arrested 30 people, we're going to hand out 500 fines, and, you know, if you come outside this LJ, we're going to lock you up. Instead of that, move them out. Put them over somewhere else. We, we, I mean, I, I'm sure the commu- I don't know, but I'm sure Mick doesn't want to be up there talking about this sort of stuff. He'd rather be able to doing his policing job. I'd rather see the Minister for Small Business standing there saying, listen, we've polled 50 small businesses in the last two weeks. We can see what the issues are. I'm going to speak to Victor Dominelli because they're not getting these applications processed quick enough. They're not getting their money. That's what I want to see. I'm just being advisory here. I'm yeah. not criticising you. That's what I want to see the small business minister do, and I know why you haven't done it in the past. It hasn't been a thing, but it is a thing now. Yep. You are very, you are hold the most important role in my view in New South Wales, other than the premier and maybe the treasurer who has to dole the money out. But you're the guy, um, well, and, and and it's my first meeting with you, and uh, and which is great. Um, I'm having this opportunity, and it's this is the first time an audience has actually probably seen you. Because this is videoed. I mean, I've heard you being interviewed by Ben uh, and others, but like they're all just going to rip into you. They're all going to say, "Listen, Minister, but I'm I'm here to give you a chance and to put your case forward." And and I and I that's why I want to know what you like. Will you take it up for us? You know, will you never let go? Is small business or something they just handed you because they thought oh, I reckon Damien can do this job, or is it because Damien's mate? You're on it, all over it. Apart from me being qualified, are you all over it? Yeah, well, uh, there, are no, there are a number of uh, of issues which you've just raised there, um, uh, and there is a difference between being out there as a forceful personality and developing also good policy. You can have very forceful politicians who uh, pave their way into the consciousness of people who have dreadful policies. I used to think when I was growing up that uh, Gough Whitlam was a fantastically forceful politician. Uh, however, he had dreadful policies. Uh, and at the end of the day, small business is going to react according to the policy position which you adopt as a government which supports them. Obviously, the, uh, the first and foremost message at the moment that the government is focused on is health outcomes. And uh, you know, you, we can all have a view about the level of emphasis that is given to health outcomes. Um, you mean public health? You're talking about public health. Public health outcomes. You're, you're talking Correct. about the public health policy. Yeah. But but I would put to you, and and it's been probably already been put to you, the economic health and the small business community as a community, their health, whether it be mental, uh, physical, or economic. Yep. Is as as important because as a, probably probably people put to you as well, um, the the amount of suicides and the attempted suicides and just people who feel dreadful, is probably greater than the number of people who are sitting right now in a hospital ward with COVID. Well, and these people feel as as ill as ill affected. Well. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think they're both, you don't want to diminish both of them. Uh, no, correct, correct. Uh, and in many respects, I agree with you. I think that... Can we elevate them yeah, to, together it, equally? It, exactly. And it, to the extent that you form the view that small business is not elevated enough in terms of the potential health outcomes for small business, um, I think it's a really valid point. Like I said to you earlier that when I was running my own small business, the stresses that were on you, you know, in circumstances where you had to worry about whether you could make your payroll commitments uh, of a bit, you know, Thursday's coming up, I've got to pay the wages. Do I have enough money in the bank? Do I have to ring the bank manager to get some extension of my overdraft for the purpose of... They're the real-life stress situations which businesses face day after day. But we've made that worse because what we've, in fact, said to a small business, you can't open your shop or you can't open your business, can't go to work. So what we've said to that business is... You can't pay your suppliers, you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your mortgage. Now, if you want a definition of stress, that's it. But that's it in, in terms of where, where a business is at. All of a sudden, their whole model of being able to operate is gone. Uh, and there's an obligation. That's the first time I've heard a politician admit it. <laughs> no, 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 I'll admit it every day of the week. I, every time no, but it's the first time <laughs> I've heard it. Yeah, well, okay. Well, uh, I... So what does government do? What does government do with, in circumstances where you make a public health order because you think it's in the best interest of the, of the people of the state to stop people dying from this virus? So all of a sudden, you make this order to lock down. Now, <laughs> I have to say that if, if I was still in business, I'd, I would be thinking, <laughs> like, uh, you know, how do, how do I get through this? And... Certainly, I think think banks have come to the party in terms of giving accommodation to their customers and uh, small business clients, whether it's for the purposes of deferral or extension of of facilities or whatever. I think that there has been a level of cooperation and acknowledgement by banks uh, of the impact on small business. So one of the two next big, big things is is the fact that I can't pay my rent so what we've done in relation to that is, is uh, initially we prevented evictions from taking place, but then put in place, back in place, the national code which required the relief or deferral or waiver of rent. So that's uh, an obligation which we've now imposed on landlords in respect of the rent obligations of their small business customers 
who have had a significant uh, impact uh, on their business. And the third thing is... Can I just stop you there for a minute because it's a bit confusing. So, and a lot of people actually have asked me this. So, and I'm actually a bit confused on myself. So, what is the obligation, actual obligation on the landlord if the, if the tenant makes an application to the landlord? What, like, is it, if it, has the tenant got to say... My rent, my taking is down by thirty percent or something like. How, how does it yeah, work? That's 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 the, the obligation on uh, the the nature of a, a a negotiated outcome is is the tenant will go to their landlord and say my business is, has been impacted as a result of the public health orders. There are some businesses which aren't shut. Uh, you know, some might be, but they might be thirty percent, fifty percent, seventy percent, one hundred percent down. In fact, I had a. Landlord sent me a whole list of his uh, his rent roll yesterday, where he indicated to me, you know, the impact on various categories of business. So that tenant's starting position is to go to the landlord and say, or the uh, the landlord's agent and say, this is the impact on my business. The landlord may then say, uh, well, provide me with your business activity statement or some other evidence rather than yep. just your say so. So a, a, a negotiation then starts to take place. Now, you and I both know there are some landlords who will be cooperative in that process, others who will not be so cooperative and continue to seek to recover from tenants the uh, full amount of rent which uh, they uh, have negotiated to pay. So we have put in place a number of things around that. If you, if you can't reach agreement, then the Office of the Small Business Commissioner provides mediation services, which will then mediate an outcome. Uh, right, okay, so you're going to make an application or something. You make an application to the Small Business Commissioner uh, to have a mediator appointed. He talks to the landlord, talks to the, the tenant, reviews the documentation and seeks to then... And, and I must say the success rate of the Small Business Commissioner in mediations is over 93%. So uh, generally that's a good process to go through. A, first of all, try and do it yourself, but B, if you can't reach that agreement, then the Office of the Small Business Commissioner is the place to go to try and seek that mediated outcome. Is there actually some legal obligation or a guideline as to what a landlord should do? Because, I mean, I've heard people say, let's say my business is shut yep. I can't, I'm because, say you're 100% because of the public health. I'm a hairdresser. Let's say I'm a hairdresser. Yep. I can't, I've got no customers Cut at all. Yep. So I, I've heard people say um, the landlord has to... Um, Give away fifty percent of the rent and defer the other fifty percent. Is that a, a rule or is that just no, like a guideline? Rule. That's the code. That's the, the code says yeah. that you will waive fifty percent and defer the other fifty percent over a, a maximum of two year period, depending. Two on, years, right? Yeah, depending on yeah. what you uh, negotiate. So, so they're obliged. They're obliged. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I don't think most people know that. I mean, I just don't think that's come out enough. I mean, I'd like to see somebody, you or somebody, at the end of. You know the, the eleven a.m. Um, meetings that everybody holds every week, every day. Say, so, by the way, just to remind you that if you're a small business and your landlord is uh, and your business has been closed down or you've gone down by fifty percent, these are the rules. I mean, I'd be great if you saw it once a month or every now and then, so people could actually grab hold of what you say or whoever says it and drag it into a, a bigger forum because it's so confusing. I've read this. I've I've also done, you know, I've spent plenty of years in law firms and accounting firms and and and, and in universities. I've read the rules. They are so complex. I mean, yeah, you, I guess like reading legislation I and, and like I can't imagine what would happen if someone's a foreigner, like who's from. Um, 
Bali or, you know, like an Indonesian person or yeah. a, a Lebanese person who's running a hairdressing salon and their English is not perfect and uh, nor is their sort of, you know, academic education. And they try to read this stuff. It's, it's really difficult. I mean, it just needs someone like you just to do what you just did. Say, yes, there's an obligation on the landlord. Yeah, Mark, th- th- there's a really good point that you've just made and that is uh, I, I, the nature of the, uh, the health orders I think is complex. The uh, even you know when you can wear a mask, where you can't wear a mask, where you can go, whether you're exercising, where you're not exercising, all that is, is, is complex. But in terms of of businesses, one of the things that we find is is that businesses like there is so much available at the moment. And what I consistently say is that you should be getting advice. Uh, there, there is so much that potentially can fall through the cracks. Am I entitled to a job saver package? Am I entitled to a business grant? Am I entitled to rent relief? And often, as you have just correctly identified, a business in Fairfield being, you know, it might be a Vietnamese baker uh, who's, you know, down by 50 or 60, but what are they entitled to? Often, if they're not getting that advice, they're like a rabbit stuck in the headlights, like... You don't know, and therefore I think um, certainly through Service New South Wales and through Business Connect and other advisory uh, systems we have, we ought to be promoting uh, in in whatever community, certainly in the highly impacted communities, uh, the opportunities which are available to make sure that money is going into those businesses' accounts so that they can survive. How would how would uh, the Vietnamese baker in Fairfield? Who would he contact? I mean, like you can't afford to bring up um, Damien Tudor Hope in the law firm and Epping because he can't afford that. And not only that, he doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't know how you exist. He doesn't know there's a law firm. He, he, generally speaking, a lot of these individuals, their accountants, um, their accountants are struggling too because a lot of times accountants, you know, are just doing accounts. They're, they're doing the GST or whatever it is for them, you know, and their and their activity statements, BAS statements, et cetera. Um, there or not equipped, and who who do they who is someone who they can contact where they're not going to sit on a like services in New South Wales are hard because you sit on there for hours. Um, who do they contact? Well, can I, can I just pull you up there? I think it, generally their first port of call is the person who does their accounts for them, uh, and I think we we have made a big effort to try and get in out in as many languages as possible all the information uh, that should be available to Service New South Wales have. Uh, I think, 60-odd languages that they uh, present their material in. Uh, we have, uh, uh, and it's aligned to uh, Service New South Wales, a, a whole section called Business Connect, which has advisors in, in various communities, all of which uh, have access to uh, multilingual services so to make sure that we can, and that's a free service, business.nsw.com.au, yep. uh, and that they will take you through to Business Connect Advisors. Now, but what you've just identified is the first step that needs to be taken. Lots of the businesses which you potentially identify don't even know to go there. Uh, they, they don't run their business in terms of sitting down in front of a computer visiting websites on a daily basis. So Correct. it's uh, a question of how do you get the information into their hands and generally that information comes through community organisations and that's why uh, I'm, a, I'm a big protagonist of Chambers of Commerce. The big thing about local Chambers of Commerce is is that they share information. 
They share things from the Small Business Commission or they share experiences. Like I must say that as a parent, for example, the, the best parenting that I ever learned in my life was from other parents. This is how I look after my kids or what I did with my kids, how much pocket money I gave them or whatever it is uh, that you uh, do as a parent. The best thing you can do as a business is try, try and join with other businesses in understanding how they are going in terms of getting through, uh, you know, the shutdown or uh, the diminution in their business. Okay, well, here's you and me, and I, I say this is a great respect, Minister. White, male, well-educated, mature, sophisticated in terms of how the world works. And with a great respect to you and I, that's just not how the, the majority work in small business. That's just all bullshit. I mean, it, it is what you should do as a, as a, as a, as a politician. Yeah. It's what you've got to do as a minister. And you've got to build these bureaucratic environments up and, you, you've got to, and you're right. Generally speaking, the chambers, et cetera, are good places for people to go. But they're, they're, they're not for your, your Vietnamese baker who doesn't know anybody, immediately gets uh, intimidated. He or she would be intimidated to go into that environment, let alone have the time. Um, and uh, I'm just saying, for example, if the Minister for Small Business got up on, on one of these Mondays or Tuesdays or Sundays one, at, at 11 a.m. or 11.30, the last is speaking, said, listen, by the way, if we've got someone who can talk to you in your language, here's the phone number. If you're not sure how to deal with the landlord, give them a call. I don't know. I'd like to see that because, to be honest with you, those in an ideal world, you're right. Idealistically, you're correct. You know, like smart, confident people will go to these chambers and they will join them. And I encourage them, like you, I encourage them to join these chambers and I encourage them to talk to other business owners. But the problem is it's a bit like when you went to school, you know, or at least in my school, there were some kids were part of one group and then there were some other kids who didn't feel like they were part of that group but they formed their own group. And the two groups never crossed over. You, you never talked to these guys because they didn't feel like they belonged with you and you didn't feel like they belonged with you and you didn't feel like you belonged with them. In the business environment, that's exactly the same thing. And uh, you and I belong to the white, male, well-educated, you know, blah, blah, blah group, okay, which is great. Um, but there's another group out there who don't think they're like us and uh, they don't feel like they're entitled to come to our group. In fact, some of them even resent you and I. Um, and they could be female, they could be husband's wife, they could be foreigners, any number of things, okay? They're just socioeconomically different to us. We need to be able to tell them where they can go direct. With respect, I disagree with you about uh, you and I being non-representative of uh, whole heaps of small businesses. To an, to an extent, uh, I don't, uh, and you don't, move in the sphere of the local Vietnamese bakery at Fairfield. Hmm but they have a next-door business. They have families who are potentially in business. So there is always generally in respect of any business some sort of support mechanism. Often the support mechanism may be their customers. Maybe it's uh, the coffee shop next door. Maybe it's the hairdresser next door. But they generally, generally have a, a network of people. Now, I identify chambers of commerce as high-level uh, organisations, but getting advice is the, is fundamental to what I'm what I'm saying here to you today. Is now often you'll get that advice because the hairdresser next door has said, "I just got my business grant through." 
and I think, oh, I haven't applied for a business grant. Maybe I should. I agree that that's something that would be fantastic and it's good advice for business owners listening to this, but I think we've got to make sure no one falls through the cracks. So talk to your, your colleagues, talk to other people in your industry, talk to your accountant, talk to your lawyer, talk to the chambers, join chambers, just communicate and find out what other people are doing. Minister, look, I could talk with eighty, but I, I think it's, this is a really important piece. We are heading towards our 70 and our 80% benchmarks, which is you know something being accepted by all the various premiers of the and the, and the government with the national cabinet um, about uh, reopening the country and business and getting back to life as normal. What does the small business minister's department say about what are the things that he's looking at, he's fighting for to make sure that we can get back to business, but more importantly, that we can survive the period whilst we are getting back to small business in that period because it's really hard. A lot of people are going to be suffering. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a really important point. Just, just because you start to lift restrictions doesn't mean that small businesses are all of a sudden back to normal. There will be some that recover very quickly uh, because they are like the necessities of life and I often identify, you know, the fact that uh, um, hairdressers will have almost an instant recovery because they, they will have customer lists uh, where you'll have appointments months in advance uh, to get back in. But So those businesses will... But there will be some which will take some considerable time to recover. Now, we need to make sure that we have in place programs to continue to support those businesses. You, you'll be well aware um, that, for example... When we have lots of people working from home, the impact on CBD small businesses was just uh, mammoth last year and we had to identify opportunities to support CBD businesses because uh, the foot traffic in the CBD had uh, on uh, lots of reports uh, been reduced by as much as 50% because of staggered working hours, continuing arrangements to work from home. So... That creates opportunities for us to look at programs and I think you will recall we introduced Dine and Discover and we initially focused it on CBD outlets. Uh, We have to get regulation uh, uh, diminished uh, or reduced so that you can have outdoor dining and things like that. So there is this continuing obligation to make sure uh, that we are in fact supporting those businesses uh, as they come out of um, of the of the lockdown, for example, a gym is not going to get back its total membership the day after it opens its doors. People have uh, have developed different training regimes. They've now got uh, a different approach. And so, how do you support the the gym owner uh, going forward? So, keeping some programs alive, uh, potentially offering incentives for people to go to gyms. Uh, maybe it's in alignment with uh, uh, Medibank or the health funds to be able to promote gyms or, or the like. So policy decisions going forward have got to be focused on the fact that there are no such thing as instant recoveries. We as a government have shut businesses down. We as a government now need to be looking at opportunities to support those small businesses going forward to give them the best opportunity of survival. Well, then I'll put this to you. I've been calling for a seat at the table for a small business community. And I've also been saying, why isn't the minister, and I'm saying this to the Premier, why isn't the minister for small business on the crisis cabinet? And indeed, I go one step further. And I see they've got the chief uh, psychiatrist now attending some of the 11 a.m. meetings. Why isn't the minister of small business up there talking about 
what you are doing in the way forward for the road forward. Because we're out of public health now. We're still in it, but we're sort of looking at the road forward. I would still say the Minister of Small Business should be on the crisis cabinet. I would say the Minister of Small Business should also, apart from just talking to the Treasurer, should also be front and centre at least once a week saying what you are thinking about. And I would also say to you with the greatest respect, um, it requires innovation. The outcomes that you're talking about, say, for example, gyms, um, you know, how do you help gyms, you know, do a wine and dine style thing for gyms? I don't know how that will work, but it requires innovation, innovative thinking. And maybe it would be good to get some people out of the community or invite community ideas, um, uh, you know, just innovative, creative ideas, run competitions. So some of these more um, novel ideas might be fantastic. Wouldn't it be good if in a couple of weeks' time, prior to allowing hairdressers to reopen, um, to have a thing where called as many hairdressers as possible into the Sydney Football Stadium or somewhere equivalent, which is being unused, and have them all four metres apart and have them dressed in gowns and a face mask and some long gloves and to invite the first 500 people to line up, like the line up to get the COVID jab, line up outside the uh, stadium and uh, come in and get their hair done. Now, it's just a novel thing. But what it shows is empathy from the government's point of view. It shows that, yes, we are thinking about new stuff. We are thinking about you. We are trying to give you some hope. We are trying to keep you entertained a little bit. And uh, and we're, we're, not, we're taking this seriously, but at the same time, we're a bit playful too. If we want to say we're all in this together, we're all going to be in it together. We're going to be thinking in it together in an initiatives, in novelties, trying new stuff. And I'd like to see the person who's responsible. It's not from the Premier. I'd like to see the Minister for Small Business saying this. So a seat at the table for you and a seat at the table for small business with you to interact with you, to gear you up to get the New South Wales government right behind us. How do you think about that idea? Well, uh, Mark, uh, you, you are my best ambassador. Uh, um, I, I continue to try and press the opportunities for small business and uh, my background is doing that. And, and, and those things that you uh, have just identified are really the way that small businesses do well because they're lateral. So small businesses minister should do well because he's lateral and, th and thinking totally. of additional ideas. Like one of the things I really thought was great uh, was... We want uh, people to come dressed up to get a vaccination in the, in the football team that they support. Yeah, now that's, this weekend. That, that's the sort of lateral thinking which is necessary. We want people to be vaccinated. How do we incentivise them to do it? Uh, and I think that there is the same opportunity uh, potentially for promoting small businesses and giving them the exposure which is necessary for them. One million percent. And uh, as you said right at the beginning, Small businesses contribute to, like, I think you said in excess of 90%. So if anything else, if nothing else, if all of this is a whole lot of bullshit and you're, you're uh, telling us the story, one thing is I know for sure is that the government's well aware of how much money the small business community contributes to the state. <laughs> and without the money, you can't operate. And if nothing else, there is a compulsion. I just wish you guys would tell us that more and more and more. And I just wish the Premier would keep talking about it and not just make this a public health issue and make it a general health issue of the state. Um, but I'm glad to say we're starting to emerge into that territory now. We've got through the confusion part, and, uh, and it's great to have an opportunity to talk to the Minister of Small Business. I'm hoping to see you up there front and centre very soon. Good on you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Smalley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 